0: here. We're thankful for the good news of the gospel. We're thankful for the way that you work in such good ways in our life, that you continue to use us, Father, in a way that would be honoring to you. And We pray, Father, that you would be at work in our congregation here, that we would grow in love for one another and, above all, grow in love for you. So, Lord, be with us. Help us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we picking this up from my thing? Is that what it is? Okay. Now, at this time, stand up and shake hands with somebody near you. All right? Well, I'm going to work on this for a minute. I don't think so. Is, it, is this better? Are we doing better? Testing one, two, three. Testing. Good. Thank you. Let's try it. Okay. Please be seated if you would. Be, be seated. No, this is not the end of the service. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but yeah. All right. Let's pray. Again, we thank you, Lord, that we could be here, that we could hear the good news of the gospel. We pray, Father, that our hearts and minds would be open to what you have for us today. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have gotten an email. So the email I sent yesterday had a little bit of panic when I found out that we got a note from Eitz Kime, who had been so gracious to us. Saying that they were having major issues and things were not working, particularly the PowerPoint slides. I was going, oh evade Jesus, why did it have to be now? But anyways, thankfully it did not work for I mean worked out for us and that we did not have any problems with the PowerPoint slides, which for which I am very grateful. And uh, yes, <laughs> so far. Okay. I've got faith. I want you to know, I've got faith in them but I'm grateful for it. We're continuing our series in the book of Romans, and it's such a good book. It has so much for us, and it reminds us of how God has worked in such great ways. And what we want to do this morning is we're coming to an important chapter, and if you notice the title, I made it up, called a bit Buried with Christ, Risen with Christ which is going to be one of the major themes that's going to be taking place in this passage that we have before us now. We're in Romans chapter 6, which is a terrific one. Next chapter, chapter 7, is another great one, doing more with the law. Then chapter 8 comes to sort of like the high point in the hill, when you come to chapter 8, and it talks about what shall separate us in the love of God. And it just goes on. It gets better and better and better as it goes. And it's a great passage. And so this is a good one too. And this is a one that you got to kind of stick with it a little bit because there's kind of times along where you're going, uh, where is that going? Or where's Carl going with this one? So I'd encourage you as much as you can follow along. We're in Romans chapter six, picking it up from the very beginning. Just to give us a little background, particularly if you were not here last week, is in the last week we were looking about dealing with this passage. It was still focusing a lot on on what we talk about righteousness, but particularly how we are declared righteous by Christ. It's not like that we work ourselves good enough that maybe God's going to accept us. It's saying we have been declared righteous by God's graciousness. We can't earn it. It's just pure mercy. And so we went into that chapter last week. One of the big themes was reconciliation with God recognizing that all of us were separate from God and God by his mercy now has brought us into a right relationship with him and as believers it brings up in a right relationship with others and so that's one of the big themes from last week the other one that was a little strange and I appreciate you stayed with it for the most part was the story of the two men he was using this analogy talking about the fact of these two men there's one man named Adam And there's another man named Christ. And he talked about how how in one man, Adam's death, excuse me, Adam's sin brought death to all the world. But what Christ did, he brought life to the world. And so he made that big contrast between that. And that was one of the key things that he worked with last week in the passage that we were doing. So we're picking this up here in Romans chapter 6. And here is sort of the big theme. It's subduing the power of sin. Subduing the power of sin. We all know what sin is, it's all part of our lives. And his point is, how do we subdue that? And what Paul's going to do is to deal with this issue of how do we do this thing? If it's important. And what he's going to do, he's going to be talking about sin, and he's going to do something that we've seen often already in this series. Paul will often use something like something like sin, and he'll personify it like it's alive, like it's a power, it's a force. And he does this often in his writings, and in course when we read it now, that he's thinking like sin is like a power that's alive, or it's like it's like an evil king who holds us in a grip. And he's going to be using this idea again, again, and again, and you're going to see as we go through this passage. So nobody's saying here, but here what's going to be a change. Where before the last few weeks have been focused on justification. We are declared righteous by God through grace. But now he's starting to switch. And he's moving now into the issue of sanctification. How do we become more like Christ and less allowing the power of Lord's sin beholding us and holding us tight? And this is where he's coming to. So let's pick up our passage if we hear right in this thing. Verse 1. What should we say then? He's going off from where we were from last week. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may multiply? Now, Paul says this because, as we know, there are people who are actually saying this. Hey, God likes to be gracious, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, then, why don't we be as sinful as we can and give him more opportunities to be gracious? And Paul's going in Greek, noita." no way, man. Absolutely not. See, that's, that's not what we're talking about. What we're going to see in this passage is the fact he's saying, listen, God's grace is great, but we're not going to just overgo this. Now notice what he says in the next verse. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now you're going, I don't remember dying any time recently. If you died, you wouldn't be here. Well, I guess you could be, but not normally, okay? He said, how could we who died to sin still live in it? So he's saying, wait a minute. That's what this whole point is. How do we suppress sin? that's impacting everybody's life, even us as believers. And he's saying, OK, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He's saying, talking about what's going on. And so he says, or are you aware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This verse right here is a key one to understanding the rest of the passage. Because he's saying, OK, I'm going to make an analogy here. The analogy is, is what happened to Jesus? Well, okay. We know what, everyone knows what happened to Jesus. He was crucified. He went into the grave. He was resurrected from the grave into new life. And Paul is going to use that as his story to bring with the rest of what he wants to teach. And he's doing that right there. He's saying, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And we all go, mm, not sure I'm getting that one, which is okay because it's a hard one. But notice what he's doing here, he talks about we were baptized into Christ. We know with the Jewish people, Paul's own people, for them the the sign that showed that you were part of God's people was for men at least, it was having circumcision. That showed that you belong to the covenant. And what he's saying here is, okay, What's now for us as believers, whether you're a Jew or you're a non-Jew or you're a Gentile, whatever you are, if you've come to faith and you've been baptized, that is like the sign that you have now made a commitment and faith to Jesus Christ. Baptism was very, very important. It wasn't until many, many decades later that they were doing sprinkling, at this point they were still doing dippers. They were big dippers as opposed to sprinklers. Okay. And so this is important because what he's going to do now, he said, all of us who were baptized—that's a sign that we were connected—and basically what he's doing is saying we are so connected with Christ that His story is our story. That's the key thing. His story is our story. Maybe you've seen on TV, or maybe you've been down at the courthouse and you see a policeman or something. He's got maybe he's got handcuffs, and he's got another person next to him with handcuffs. And so you, the two of them are together. Where one goes, the other goes. When one has to go to the bathroom, the other has to go with them. Because they're connected together. And what Paul is doing now is saying, okay, I want you to think of it this way. You are connected. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ, stop right there, we've seen multiple times how Paul loves to use this phrase in Christ. Christ. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. We are in Christ. It has this idea that we are connected. We've been soldered together. We've been welded together. He's saying, think of what's happening now with Jesus and the fact that you are spiritually connected with him. His story, going down into the grave, coming up in the experience, he said, that's, tell- that's the story we're telling right here. That you are spiritually connected with him. His going in the ground, his resurrection. You're part of it. Now, I understand that's strange from what we're used to. I mean, this is not normal kind of American type thing. It's kind of like, you know, that, but that was that, made, that connected to them, particularly since they were so much closer to the actual death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he says, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death He's saying, if we are in Christ, and Christ is us, okay. what is his story? His story is he was killed. He was put down into the grave. And he's saying, you were right there with him. Now again, we're not talking about there's an actual body there, but his point is you are spiritually connected with him. He went down into the dirt, putting it straight, and he came out. And he's alive, and you're connected to him. That is, his story is also your story as you're connected through him. Are you not one aware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? It's like, you ought to know. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, we had to go down, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. He's saying again you're connected to him however you want to describe it you're connected with him and is going into the ground and you are also connected when he has comes out from the ground and he is has a life and he's a well and notice this phrase that he said he said the glory of the Father so that we too notice this phrase we may walk in a new way of life here's where Paul is trying to make his comparison and why this is important The fact is that you are connected to Jesus' life and death, his resurrection. It means here it is what this needs to be. Because you are now living, because Christ has now been resurrected, and he's alive and well at the Father's right hand, and you're connected to him, he's saying that that means that your life ought to be living the way God would want you to be living that way of a person who's now been connected to him. So his point is, so we may walk in a new way of life it's saying because of what christ has done for us what's expected of you at this point is you know what it's time to start walking that's why we mentioned about this passage has a lot to do with what we call sanctification walking in the way the lord would have us learning growing deepening our love for christ learning more about him and knowing him well so notice what he says in the next verse we're to walk in a new way of life. Then he goes on this, for if we have been joined, it's another way of saying since he has been, another translation say, for if we've been joined with him in the likeness of his death, which we have, well we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay, He's going down, he came back up, you're in Christ, you're connected with him. He said, that's going to be your story. In other words, his story is now your story as well. For we know that our, quote, old self was crucified with him in Jesus in order that sin's dominion, we'll hear that word dominion a number of times, that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. He likes that phrase a lot. We don't need to be there. We don't need to be slaves since the person who has died had freed from sin's claims. Once you're dead, there's nothing you can do about it. They can't charge you for doing this. You know, it's like you're dead. But his point is saying that old self. Now, what does that mean? Over the centuries, people have had different views on what that means. John R. W. Stott, who's such a great writer, he put it this way. What was crucified with Christ was not a part of me called my old nature, but the whole of me as I was before I was converted. He's talking about the before Christ time and the after Christ time. He's saying, this is what I was like in my B.C. time, my before Christ time. But now, because I'm connected to Christ, he's saying, I am now connected to him. And he's saying, I can live now in a new way. So notice what he says. Now, if we died with Christ, or you could say since we've died with Christ, we believe that he will also live with we all live with him because we know that christ having been raised from the dead he no longer dies death no longer rules over him This t- word rule and dominion he uses a lot and of course he lived in an era where there's a lot of lead, you know, people that were that there were rulers death no longer rules over him anymore for in that he christ died he died for sin once for all. And that's a theme we hear in other places in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews talks about he died once for all. The death of Christ is significant, but it's not only just significant, it is enough for every person that ever was, any person who will ever come to Christ through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's saying that's what he can do for you. So what he does is, so you, now notice what he said, consider yourself dead to sin but alive to God and Jesus Christ. Notice what he's saying. So you too consider yourself dead. I'm not dead. I'm physically alive. But he's saying you're spiritually. Consider yourself that that life of yours, that before Christ's life, is gone. He said that you consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, and here's the commandment, as seminary students here remind us, Paul likes to do this thing about here is what you are, here is what you need to be, or here is what you need to do. They call it the indicative and the imperative. The indicative is what you are, the station that you're at, the realm that you're living at, what you're at. That is what you are, but that's not where you're going to be. Here's, here, here's the indicative. You need to be, you're here, but here, here's the imperative. Here's what you must do. That's where he brings it here. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your body. Here's these reign words again, talking about there's a a, a king, an evil king, who's suppressing us, who's keeping us under sin. Don't let sin, sin and the idea of sin again as being a power, a force that holds us, that grabs us, that keeps us from being the person we want to be. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. You don't have to live that way. Do not offer any parts of it as sin, excuse me, uh, to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. Now this is another kind of strange phrase because it's like, you know, what parts of the instruments is he talking about? Does he want, you know, the right kidney and part of my leg or what? Obviously he's not. But his point is there should be no part of you that has anything to do with this. Don't, and for any part of you, anything in part of your life, think of it in terms of people or think of it in terms of things that are there. Do not offer any part to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. He likes military illustrations as well, as you can see right here. But as those who are alive from the dead, that is Christians, because we're united with Christ, we are in Christ, he said, instead do this, offer yourselves to God, all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. All of me, all of me, why not take all of me. Okay? You didn't know I was going to sing for you, did you? But it makes the point. Not just you can have part of me, Lord. You can have this part of me, Lord. But you can't have this part. And he's saying all of it. I want all of it. All that what you are. All that you offer. All that God has given you. All the opportunities he's given to you. He said, but as those who are alive from the dead. Offer yourselves to God. And all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness, not like unrighteousness, two slides back, but righteousness, that fact that we use what God has given us to live a righteous life before Him. Now, notice this important verse For sin will not rule over you, because you're not under law, but under grace. It's an important phrase. For sin will not rule over you. Now, here's the thing it can. His point is, it doesn't have to. These are choices that we make. You can allow Lord sin to control your life. Or you can have Lord Jesus controlling your life. For sin will not rule over you. Because you're not under the law, but under grace. I'm saying again, when the law is gone, they can't charge you something if there's no law against it. But his point is, we're under grace. God has been merciful to us that we could have a relationship with him. Now, he asks this question, what then? Should we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? He goes back, Mega no, no way, absolutely not. In other words, he said, should we sin because we're not in grace? No, law under grace. Well, we can do what we want, right? Do anything we want. Paul says, uh-uh, not, not the case. Now, notice it. When Paul says, do you not know, what he means is, you ought to know, and the fact that you're not living the way you ought to be living is showing that you don't. You do know, but you're not living that way. Do you not know that if you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves? Remember, he lives in a world where slavery was everywhere, so this was a great illustration for him. Do you not know that if you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves? That's that the one you obey, that you obey, either of sin leads to death, or obedience leading to righteousness okay think of that again that idea that's a slavery Bob Dylan you can uh, you gotta serve somebody it can be the devil or it can be the Lord but you're gonna serve somebody and what he's saying here is the same thing you gotta pick which master you're going to obey Lord sin or Lord Jesus take your pick one is going to lead to unrighteousness, and it's not in the long term, it's not going to be helpful to you. In fact, it's going to be disastrous. On the other hand, if you're willing to follow him as Lord Jesus, can't believe what he's going to do for you and care for you. So notice what he says in this verse. But thank to be God that although you used to be slaves of sin, again, most of these people are believed Christians, you used to be slaves of sin. You obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching that was entrusted to you. Now, again, we don't know exactly, but we assume that this was the basic core. This was like, you know, uh, we might just call it, you know, Christianity 101. These are the basic things of which you've learned. Make sure you hold true on that. Thanks be to God. Though, though you used to be slaves to sin, but you don't have to be, you obeyed from the heart of that pattern of teaching that you were entrusted to. Having been liberated from sin, Again, another thing, but all the people there understand, oh yeah, that person, they paid the money or somebody let them go. You've been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness, not unrighteousness. Now again, he lets us know, this is an analogy, okay? Stay with me, Paul says. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. In other words, I understand you're not getting it. Well, we'll, I'll try it better, okay? For just as you offered the parts of yourself, your hands, your feet, your mouth, that spoke too much or said the wrong thing. He said, for just as you offer the parts of yourself as slaves to moral impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now, here's the imperative, so now, offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in, and notice this key word, which results in sanctification. You have turned away from Lord's sin. You've told Lord's said." Get out of here. I'm getting out of here, too. I'm not going to have anything to do with this. And it's saying that what happens now, you've turned away from that, and you've turned to Christ, and he's saying now, what results is sanctification. That is, growing in faith, deepening what we know, deepening in our love for God, deepening in the way that we are encouraging and strengthening other people around us. And so Paul says it this way, For when you were slaves of sin, he goes back to that before Christ time, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free from allegiance to righteousness. You didn't have to follow it. You were opposed to it. But notice what he says. And what fruit was produced from them, from the things you're now ashamed of? Remember Jesus in his teaching in the Gospel of, I think it's Gospel of John. I hope so because I'm in the right spot. He said this. Jesus was teaching, and I just dropped it. But he said right here in verse 34. I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you will really be free. That's the greatest freedom you could ever have. And so what's happening here is Paul's asking him, and what fruit was produced by the things that you're now ashamed of? Nothing good came out of it, a lot of sin, a lot of sorrow a lot of wishing had been different get away from it walk away for the end of those things is death but now since you've been liberated from sin Lord sin Lord sin you've been taken away from him you he said Lord sin you have become enslaved to God so best way to be enslaved is enslaved to God you have your fruit which results in sanctification and the end is eternal life and then here is the famous verse that many of us that went to Bible school learned early on for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord what a wonderful sin Sin. it's a terrible sin it's a wonderful word eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord let's go back just for a moment this verse verse 22 but now since you've been liberated from sin and become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. This passage is important in so many different levels, but particularly in the one is the fact that many times as Christians, it's so easy to find the right balance. Sometimes we go off the deep end this way. Sometimes we go off that way, but it's a still it's an ongoing struggle. You've heard this illustration before, but the apostle. excuse me. Martin Luther, one of his famous little quips that he used to talk about when he was pretty good on sanctification, would talk, and said, most Christians are very much like a person who's drunk getting on a donkey, okay? His point said, the drunk is trying to get on that donkey and he's, you know, had way too much to drink. And he gets up on it and he immediately falls off on the other side. He says, well, why don't we try this side? And he gets up and he falls over that side, okay? This guy has really had way too much to drink. And he said, that's what many Christians are like. They get on something over here, and they go way over, and they go, boom, they fall over here. Then they're on the next thing, and then, boom, they're over his point is saying, you know what, that's not the way it ought to be, that we go from one to another. And his point is trying to say, listen, do you understand what's happening here? That well, often, and it's, it's true about Christianity, I'm afraid, and many of our things, sometimes we get on this big train, and that we're in that way, and then the next thing, we're on the next new thing. And Paul said, no, it can't be that way. And Paul's saying, be careful. He said, you know what we have here? He said, you have been a slave to God. You have your fruit. Remember, Jesus talked about the importance of fruit saying that as we as Christians, as we follow the Lord, there ought to be fruit. Fruit is not what makes us a Christian. Fruit is is what happens for what Christians do as they come to know Christ and to walk with him. And so Paul is saying here's exactly what we're talking about. He says you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. That is, you, as you're following the Lord, as he likes that phrase, as you are walking with him in sanctification, means you are growing in relationship with him. When I was in college, Houghton College in upstate New York, was a beautiful, beautiful place. We had six of us guys who lived together in one small area. Can you imagine the problems that brought up? That's another story. But anyways, one of my best friends in that group was a guy named Don, and I really respect him. He's a good guy. He, uh, we were gone for Christmas break, and we came back, and he said, I need to talk to you about something. I said, okay, I don't know, is this bad? No, no, it's, it's wonderful. I said, "Okay." And I said, "I just want to tell you that I had an amazing event that happened over the Christmas, and I have come to complete perfection through Christ." I said, "Is this a joke?" "No, I I have I've broke through that barrier of sin, and I am now have reached full per, per you know, completely. I I'm I'm perfect at this point." And I got come on, are you pulling my leg? I mean, are you, you, you doing that marijuana stuff again? And he said, no, 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 that's the way I am. And, and I, I, I didn't know a lot at that point. I mean, I was a biology major, not a theology. And I was like, I, where are you getting this from? Well, it turned out he was getting it directly from John Wesley, one of the greatest people we have in American life, in, in American and Europe and whatever. Unbelievable good man. He had a kind of a teaching. About perfectionism. That same place where we live, in the same place we're at, the f- we were in the downstairs in the basement, and the parent and the family above there lived above us. He was talking about the fact that he grew up in this Wesleyan background that was there. And again, there's different levels of Wesleyan m- ministry. But the one guy was telling me that, you know, in his growing up, they're in the Wesleyan church, they're in the w- kind of a very rural area uh, there in New York. He said he said it was very interesting, he said, because, for example, my my parents could never wear r- rolling, I mean, rings. that was considered like that you were you know being bad by doing having a wedding ring he said he said, but you know he said one time he said my mother we, I was young, but my mother was there. They were having a testimony thing,, well, I want to thank God for what he's done this, I want to praise God, but he said an older lady got up and said. I want to thank God that I have not sinned in the last 20 years. And he thought maybe this was a joke. And his mother nudged him. She was absolutely understanding. She actually thought that. She had not sinned in 20 years. I would have loved to talk to her husband after the service and hear what he had to say about that. But you see, there's an example of, yes, God has called us to holiness. Sanctification is the gold that He has for us to grow up in. And you know what? But like that drunk that Luther talks about, you can go way off to the and way, way the, the wrong way. That's exactly what was happening here. And often I'm told there's very little bit of that kind of stuff anymore, but it was part in our own American culture among Christians of this idea of get perfect. You see, so it's so easy for us to be able to get caught up in these things that keeps us from focusing on the main thing. The main thing is Jesus Christ. The main thing is the Gospel. And what's important here when he talks about this, what it results in, it results in sanctification. And we'll quit here in just a minute. This whole question comes back to sanctification. How are we becoming? Are we becoming more like Christ in our walk with Christ? are we becoming more and more like Christ? That may be something to think about today at some point when you're reading the scriptures or something today. Am I growing in my faith in Christ becoming more like Jesus in the way I deal with people? Am I becoming more like Christ in terms of the love of his scriptures? am I more like Christ that people know there's something different about me not weird about me but something that there's like people go there's something about that girl something about that woman that man but something different about them where people see Christ in you Will they see that in you do they see that in me and that gives us a real opportunity for a little bit thinking about the reality of this. He says, "Become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification." How's your fruit growing? Are they just all on the ground? Or is it fruit growing becoming more like Christ? And if not, what is it that God is asking us now? In terms of being the men and the women that he wants us to be. I'm very aware that there's some people that can go overboard the other direction. That they're always just, you know, gazing through their, you know, who did this and did I do this right? And they can go the other direction, like Luther talks about. But finding that center place of saying, okay, I'm not what I used to be. Thank God for that. But I want to be going this direction. I want to see people to see that I am growing in my faith in Christ. What about you? What about me? Father, I thank you for this great passage. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. What an amazing writer he was. What an amazing Apostle.